As episodes in the podcast, so flow the days of our months. Hey, I'm Candice. I'm playing Chiom Koga, a water genasi monk who is a student of the Way of the Shadows style. I'm Nick. My character's Enzo. He's a tiefling monk who is a student of the Order of the Voiceless. I'm Walker. I'm playing Bron Wilberkins, a Goliath monk who is a student of the Winslow Wallace Falkmore School. And I'm Scott, your announcer and dungeon master. This is Days of Our Monks. The Castle Air Action has finished their recording of Days of Our Monks, two years ago. Now, as the first arc comes to its close, they gather to contemplate the show they've created and what it means for the future. So we thought it would be fun to, uh, you know, uh, we, we've just finished our chapter one of Days of Our Monks, and... We thought it would be neat to visit it as as part of the process. How how that campaign came about, how it took the directions that it took, because I didn't have any idea, and um, and where it's going from here, uh, because that was in question at one point in time. Uh, so, Candace, was it you came up with the concept of doing? Uh, uh, a one campaign for every character class where everyone was playing the same character class? Yeah, it was going to be an exploration of like the different classes, giving people an opportunity to play classes that they normally wouldn't play. Like for instance, monks never really interested me partially because I, I don't know, uh, like I grew up playing Taekwondo and everything. So, um, or not playing Taekwondo. I grew up uh, practicing Taekwondo. And so playing a martial arts class just, for some reason, I guess it didn't really appeal to me because I was like, I've done that. Um, so it was, you know, one of the least least interesting classes to me personally, but I really enjoyed playing um, a monk. Like, the, the mechanics are really interesting. Um, Nick Walker, had either of you had much experience playing a monk uh, in D&D beforehand? Absolutely zero. I think that's about where I was at, too. <laughs> I don't think I'd ever played a monk before. Uh, and then, uh, I pitched that I, that I could throw a game that would be interesting, and as inspiration, uh, I showed the group Enter the Dragon. Um, and you, you might see some influences of Enter the Dragon Mortal Kombat in the, the, the plot, because basically, I just tried to run a really baseline, flat, enter the dragon pastiche. You know, this is this is Mortal Kombat. You're going to another dimension to fight a battle. When when did it turn into a soap opera? Shortly two. after <laughs> shortly after uh Enzo accidentally threw out all of Chiom's uh belongings and lied to her about it. I might argue it happened even before then. When we talked about multiplying Chiom's suitcases, like as soon as that joke came live in episode two, I think from there we knew that this was going to be something a little more ridiculous. I think that joke was in episode one. Oh, was it? 
Yeah. yeah. I think so. <laughs> oh my gosh. I mean, I feel like, well, because soap operas are all about like ridiculous drama, but like, I don't think the drama was introduced until the point where there was a point of conflict or loss or deception. Um, before that, that, that added a level of absurdity to it, which really made it fun. Mm hmm. And there was plenty of deception. <laughs> so, so much deception. For such a like wisdom based character, I'm surprised that my like that Chiom didn't catch on sooner, but it made it so much better that she kept failing those insight roles. And I think part of that is because like um Enzo is so charismatic and able to deceive. Mm-hmm. Braun never figured it out. <laughs> it's Braun trying. I rolled a couple times. Braun was like the detective for some of those episodes. Oh, I'll get to the bottom of this. <laughs> oh, magnifying glass. <laughs> um, so, so little Sherlock Holmes hat. Mm -hmm. So characters. Oh, sorry. Nope, that's it. <laughs> so, so characters, because uh, this this was absolutely uh, a character-driven series. Um. So where where did you did these come from? What was your process for coming up with the characters you ended up playing in this in, in this campaign? I'll start. Uh, Enzo, as a as a character, started out from a man. I've never played a monk before, and I've never played a tiefling before. There is no reason those two would synergize. You know, <laughs> a. Uh, a tiefling gets bonuses to intelligence and charisma, which is not at all useful to a monk. So I had no business combining them, but I thought, why not? It's fun. And um, I decided to just go with, uh, kind of like you said, Scott, just to go with a little bit of a flat, tragic backstory, something that motivates him to train, and kind of let it grow organically from there. Um just because I, I wanted to avoid, I'd had a friend create a character very recently who was, um, had an incredibly complex and interesting backstory and was, you know, just a level two character. It's like, that that doesn't fit. So I was like, I'm not going to give him any accomplishments. He's just going to be this, he had a bad life before, now he's trying to turn himself around. We'll see where it goes from there. Nice. Because arguably this was Enzo's series. <laughs> uh, it's Enzo's world and we were just living in it. Record scratch. You might wonder how I ended up in this situation. <laughs> I do too. Pretty much, yeah. Um, um I I can go next. Um please. so I was really lost on like how, like what I wanted to make out of a monk. Usually I have these really strong character ideas before I even get into character creation really and um I didn't have that with uh with a monk character. So I ended up doing like some research and tried to find inspiration through historical figures and there was this Japanese female hero 
uh, named Chio Mochizuka. I need to double check that name. It's been a while since I've looked her up, but she was the inspiration behind Chiom. And she was this really, really cool, badass woman. Like her husband died in the war and she ended up like becoming like this ninja who basically like took in refugees and orphans and sex workers and trained them in martial arts and how to protect themselves. And she made this really cool organization. It was just really, really interesting. And so I took inspiration from her and kind of tried to create a character who was just, you know, had some of like those same like noble traits and stuff. But um, I put my own spin on it. I actually came up with a rather um, in-depth backstory for her full of love and tragedy, loss and um, secrets. She joined a monk school and kind of made it her own as she became the person in charge of it. Why Genasi? I'd never played a Genasi before, and I always thought they were really cool and interesting. And if I was going to assign myself an element, it would be fire because um, that's just what I identify with most. And Chiom is definitely water and the polar opposite of me in a lot of ways. Um, so it was, I like water Genasi just sounded cool. And I believe Chiom means water butterfly in Japanese. And I just love that imagery. And it, kind of just fit really well with um with like you know the character and everything that I'd put together so far and it translated really well into the art too yeah <laughs> it worked out oh, nicely awesome um walker <laughs> where did brawn come from i need to know when I went into making a monk character, I kind of sat down and was like, okay, I can't make this a bald, sinewy guy in a robe who likes to meditate all the time. I need to do something different. And then I thought, you know what, I'm going to add Barbarian in there because I like to add Barbarian into everything, even things that doesn't belong. I made a Warlock Barbarian and... Braun just kind of built up from there. I I think I watched WWF or something at some point, and that inspired that whole aspect of him. And I like the idea of a monk school full of people who are very much not monks, but just fight like them and think they're monks and try to like practice the monk things but do it wrong. I'm still hung up on the the warlock barbarian. What is that Eldrage blast? <laughs> <laughs> I remember that that uh warlock barbarian. <laughs> Surprisingly nice. Surprisingly I, wholesome. <laughs> I I have friends who listened to the podcast who did not realize until about halfway through the run that Winslow Wallace Falkmore School was the WWF. <laughs> and and why Goliath? I like Goliaths in general, but I felt Goliath fit very well because Goliath's whole lore is that they're very, very competitive and they have this sense of honor. And I think that met Braun to a T. Also, I enjoyed, I wanted to make him a Wilburkins, 
and I liked the idea of him being like six times the height of everyone in his family. <laughs> kind of like those people who adopt a Newfoundland puppy and they're like, oh, it's never going to get bigger than this. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> I'm excited for uh, Braun fans to meet Badger and other members of the Wilberkins family. The Wilbur clan. Yep. <laughs> yep. The Wilbur clan. That's uh, definitely what's written on their mailbox. <laughs> there, there, there are folks in, in some of my other games uh, who are fans of the series uh, who, who are making unofficial members of the Wilbur clan. Um, <laughs> Let's make sure they're all gnomes. <laughs> the, well, the hillbilly Knoll barbarian, uh, who is the group's cook. <laughs> Is a Wilberkins, uh, who's taken in as a Newfoundland puppy, and the, Wil the Wilbur clan does that a lot. <laughs> I I get the feeling. Uh, I'm, yeah, I'm looking forward to, to other members coming up in our uh, Badger. That that's going to be a shock, as I, I imagine. Uh, we'll, we'll we'll get there. So we had these amazing characters, and we had this ridiculous setup, because it was a ridiculous setup. And, um, and then there's the bar, the first encounter, and the adventure starts. Um, and the soap opera probably does... The the, the drama starts with, with the suitcases, because that's when things get ridiculous. And that leads to a little bit of drama. And the soap opera starts with the first lie... Nick, I I can honestly say, I've never seen a character lean so hard into it. Um, it's like Enzo was a hundred percent determined to just sink himself every chance he got. Where did that come from? Uh, well, first of all, I think that's a personal tendency of mine. <laughs> I just don't know when to put down the shovel sometimes. Um, so I'm not surprised that leaked into Enzo. Uh, but I also think the reason it came to mind so quickly for Enzo as well is I told you he has this backstory where he, he did some bad things, uh, where he was a mercenary um, and didn't like to be held responsible for his actions. So on the one hand, there's that influence of him being a liar, you know, somebody who's willing to shift blame. And then on the other hand, I think there's the teachings of the monks that you have to work to redeem yourself. And so maybe he thinks he deserves this. Maybe he thinks he deserves this suffering <laughs> somewhere. Because I, I don't think anyone watching or, or, or listening would disagree with you that at some point in time, Enzo just starts to deserve it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he kind of does. <laughs> so, Chiom started off as this fairly reserved character. And then she lost her stuff. And there was some Oscar-worthy devastation going on there. Well, thank you. Um, yeah. <laughs> From the beginning, Chiom... As I, as I mentioned before, Chiom has 
a history um, of love and loss and tragedy. And she's lost almost, or she's lost all but one person of her family. Um, and she holds the memories of those people in the items that, the sentimental value of these like items. And so when she lost that, she felt like she was losing them all over again. And it was supposed to come off as funny, and it, and I think it I think it did. Um, but the character felt like true devastation because like she was losing her mother again. She was losing her father, her husband, her all her friends and family again. Um, and it was it was it was it was really fun to play. Um, I've never been great at sadness, um, so it was really fun being able to kind of stretch that muscle and uh, use it comedically, I guess. Because I was kind of halfway between it, it feeling wrong to play it for laughs, and then every time you mentioned the goodbye doggy plushie, I just <laughs> died a little bit inside, so. Yeah. But, but that that was awesome. And then that edge she got when when Enzo finally owed up a little bit. wasn't 100% me. <laughs> anger is something I've always been good at. Not so great at sadness, good at anger. Um, so that that came easily to me uh, to play. And um, I'm a tiny woman. I am like five foot two and a half, and the half is very important. Um, so... Like, I'm not good at physically intimidating people. I have to do it with my face and my voice, and um, which kind of works great for a podcast because I feel like I am able to kind of, you know, really make that edge hit home when it comes to those kinds of things. Um, so, yeah, that was that was fun. I liked I liked being a little edgy sometimes. There's a, a phrase that I think fits Chiyom really well, like, hell hath no fury as a woman scorned. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you lied to me. <laughs> so, in the midst of all this, this palpable, huge drama going on, Walker, how did you keep Braun so oblivious to everything that was happening? I. Uh when things were going on that he wasn't watching, I listened, but I tried to, like, unfocus my eyes a little bit so I could try to keep the brown part detached from it and more easily imagine a character who did not just hear all, all that Walker just heard. It just walks into the situation knowing only what he does from what he's looking at. And because... then looking right past that at the food table. Because <laughs> I, th I think it might have gotten a little overwhelming if it had all been the the, the drama and the back and forth between uh, Chiyom and Enzo, because that that generally got intense. And to every so often, just have Braun walk through the scene, broadly erasing all of the tension from from, from it, uh, <laughs> drawing down laughter and talking about food and squats. And then, and then getting back to it was such an amazing relief. Uh, Things are getting a little tense. It's time for some hey ha.
uh, that uh, for, for, for those at home listening, all of this was magnified for us in the moment by the fact that Walker is actually a beefcake. <laughs> He's laughing right now. Not just metaphorically, physically too. And and he he'll show up to the game talking about you know have, having his cheat days or his pre workout or or, or 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 how much leg day sucks. And... My favorite is it's cutting season, and then I try to feed him cake, and he eats it anyway. <laughs> cutting this cake. And, and and you you can uh, I mean. As as the dungeon master, you see a lot of the players come through in the characters, particularly in this, because uh, you would never guess that Nick's got a theater background, um, and and uh, and Candice is a a dedicated professional, and Walker is a beefcake. You know this, and you just get those bits and pieces that just it all works so perfectly all the way through. Like the least important part of this game about a tournament for the uh, for the salvation of the, the the realms of light was the tournament. The actual fights almost were, were took away from the overall drama. Um, and you folks were learning uh, to play monks, flipping through the books as you are stepping onto the tatame. Um, how how did you feel about the the combat and playing monks in the monk arena? I literally like copy and pasted my monk abilities onto a separate document and printed it out because key points confused me. And um, I played the roguiest uh, monk I could build at the time because that's my comfort zone is rogues um, and. Yeah, so that was it was interesting. Um I definitely it was an adjustment um doing like I'm used to doing like high burst damage and you know and and doing just kind of like semi-consistent like small bits of damage that add up um was just foreign to me as a player. I would say that as as is the case my experience with many of the martial classes Sometimes combat can get a little dry when your uh, when your combat rotation is punch punch kick kick, you know, um, or sometimes when you're when you're a fighter, you know, it's swing your sword three times in a turn. I do one thing and I'm good at one thing only. But um, the thing I've appreciated about the monk over the other classes that do that is just the flavor behind it all. And I think that I have to attribute a lot of that to you, Scott. Um, whenever we were like, I want to try something crazy with this unarmed strike, you were like, sure. You know, if, if Enzo wants to, while he's in midair, chuck his hand axe down to try and cleave a guy's head and then come down with his foot on the axe, you were like, sure, we'll figure it out as we go. And and that made the whole experience so much better than it normally would have been. I think. Thank you. Uh, the, or or for example, suplex. What do I roll? Couldn't <laughs> <laughs> find it in the player's handbook. <laughs> and certainly not in the monk section, which it, it, 
after this campaign, that's kind of a crime because you you <laughs> flowed that folding chair flying pile driver format into the monk class. So a little barbarian helped, but oh, because uh, those fights were exhausting to run, but so satisfying. Uh, I did not know you folks were going to win all of those and a couple of them you might not have but you, you pulled out the W every time and that was actually really really amazing do you guys have any questions for, for me uh, about how things went or, or the campaign now that I can talk about most of it freely yeah how much did you have planned that you just had to crumple up and throw over your shoulder after it turned from uh, <laughs> enter the dragon into enter all of Chio's things are gone and it's Enzo's fault? <laughs> <laughs> I try to do a minimum of planning. Um, this this was actually the first game I ran for this group. Was it? No, this is the second game I ran for this group. Uh, the 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 I think I did a Dark Smoke Academy before this one, or or am I wrong about that? Academy was after. Except it was um Candace, me, and not Nick. That's how the other it was before. So, so this is the first time running for Nick and, and first time for, for this this particular group. Um, and especially in those circumstances, I don't plan a lot. Uh, I had Enter the Dragon planned. I had you get picked up in a giant magical boat and taken to an astral palace and there is a tournament. And I had some intrigue off on the sides with, 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 with you know, Captain Succubus and uh, and had a, a, a cast of characters on the side to get thrown in uh, and all of that all of that after the, the after this episode 2 where it's like oh no something happened to all of your things Chiyom I, and, and the, the, the devastation the, okay now we're, we're, we're doing this now this is this is too good after after storming the after Accidentally discovering the black market and storming the store is like literally this, storming it. Literally <laughs> storming the store, like this is our game now. This is the. Uh, it would be criminal of me not to let this play out because Nick seems determined to keep it as bad as possible, and Candace is a hundred percent buying into this, and. Walker is doing everything he can, whether he knows it or not, to make it worse. It's like when when your players buy into something that hard, that's your game. That's that's what we're doing now. Uh, it it almost felt wrong to occasionally tear you out of the action to make you go fight bad guys. But um, so so yeah yeah uh, I I threw out. Blaze came about because I realized Enzo needed a romantic rival, not because he was actually there beforehand. How like, do you sleep at night, Scott, having created one of the most readily hateable characters <laughs> in probably podcasting history? The guy who brings a guitar to the party. 
<laughs> Blaze happens when I see someone buy into playing someone like Enzo so hard. And it's like, he's trying so hard to be everything he doesn't need to be. He, he needs to not be to reach his goals. It's like, well, I, he'd kind of like to be close to Chiom, but he is doing everything he can. When this, when that, that final straw breaks, she's going to kill him. Like, how can I apply more pressure to this situation? Um, it's like, well, okay, there needs to be some guy. There needs to be some guy who is on outer appearances a hundred percent perfect for Chiom. Like the like like the, the ideal romantic partner on the other side. So there's that bad boy thing going for him as well. Um that just just reached deep into my Stephanie Meyer and It's like this Edward needs a Jacob. What do I do? And <laughs> so let's see. What what is Enzo not? Cultured, accomplished, good at everything. Uh perfect. There oh oh let's let's make him a fire genasi so that so that he's got the the, the, the racial bonuses and I can do all the, the cool fire hair Hades sweeps and floating and smoke and that's imagine the guy you do not want to show up when you're trying your darndest to hit on someone how, how Wait, do I did you, did you plan because Candace didn't you mention that fire genasis were a thing for Chiom at some point yeah, so her husband actually was a fire genasi, and her son is a fire genasi as well. Um, so her son just has her, and she's like, I don't really, I don't know how, like, fire stuff works as well, and my kid's growing up, and I want to find a suitable, like, father or father figure for him to help him, you know, when he's going through puberty, and, you know, you know, so he, she wanted to find someone who would be able to help, like, her son grow up, and, um, like, you know, be able to control his fire and stuff like that. Because that's but, something that she can't do. But yes. you didn't plan that with, with Scott at all. No. Like, it just I mean, happened that he picked out the perfect race. No, I, I intentionally was like, oh, are there any fire genasi on board the ship? Was something that I specifically asked when oh, we first got yeah. on there. Because he was like, there's a diverse... Because she, she's I'm like, this is something that she's looking for. She's a mother. She's trying to find someone who can, you know, help her out. Okay. So so I might have picked so you, up on you, a clue or two. Yeah. But yeah, I didn't okay. sit down with Scott and be like, okay, Scott, so we need this for Chiom and <laughs> cultured and all all steeped in Japanese tradition and the 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 whole writing the concert thing was entirely Walker's the guy who comes to who brings the guitar to a party comment. <laughs> So it doesn't just bring a guitar to a party. He brings a he brings an orchestra to the party that he wrote for, and he's conducting because, of course, he is. Oh. That scene with them dancing, with Chiom and with Chiom and uh, plays dancing, 
I could just see him in my mind's eye, like looking over her shoulder at the band, like, get on time, get on time. <laughs> Secret asshole kind of thing. Right. He, he definitely like had like the, he was like the perfect villain in that, like he was like, oh, I'm not an asshole. And then he's like such an asshole. And, and then he didn't have one by the end of it. Oh, you. <laughs> we were not kind to him in the end. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> <laughs> because I know I've made a villain right when you put him down that hard. Measure the player's response. Because Okay, it was it was bad when the it, the laxatives hit and he was down on the ground and he was nigh helpless. And then when Braun bagpiped him and just snapped him in half, disemboweling him all over the drider, that was like, you know, you you go a little extra far to sell that villain getting everything that they deserve. So you guys satisfied with how the how that uh, loop of the campaign turned out? Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Looking forward to, say, to more. I have to say, um, one thing that I really did appreciate, I meant to make this comment earlier, but I didn't want to interrupt. Um, one thing about like the combat that I really enjoyed um, was that we brought the drama from outside of the combat into the combat. <laughs> Like, Enzo still did his utmost to, like, be himself, making Chio want to, like, hurl him off a cliff. And it just, it worked really, really well. Especially in that fight against the inevitable. Oh, my God. <laughs> my blood was boiling. Her blood was boiling. It was, I actually really don't, um... Chio is one of the few characters that I've made that I really just don't have a really strong connection with. Um, like it feel like most of my characters are it's like, oh, it's a little like mini character in my brain who's like, this is how I am. And I'm like, cool. For Chiom, it's more like I feel like a little bit more removed. Like I'm an author and she is like the subject matter that I'm writing about. Um, so yeah, but in that moment, I felt very connected to her. <laughs> Both was enraged at Nick slash Enzo. <laughs> One of, one of the crimes of Days of Our Monks is that it was just the audio. So uh, I couldn't show you, we, we couldn't show you Nick's tears pouring Wide out of his eyes. And and the, 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 the rage when, when Blaze first showed up and I started to describe him and Nick just got redder and redder and started to shake. But the way... Candace was looking at Nick during the fight with the inevitable. <laughs> Murder. And how to get away with it. <laughs> like, like, like I was feeling, man, Nick's probably, it's probably a good thing he is 2,000 miles away at the moment. Because, damn. I could feel that, I could feel the periphery of that. Uh it was so touching. <laughs> so we we got to the end of that one, and we actually started discussing uh, if we could use those characters again because that seemed like a very 
tight end for uh for for the characters in that arc and where do they go from there um and i figured i could pull out something for another campaign and it happened in the commercials because <laughs> because all the opera soap material was recorded uh after uh we, we finished the run um what did you guys think of the opera soap process? The the, the recordings and great, fantastic. It was super fun. I am definitely like not an actor type, um, but I really really enjoyed, really enjoyed uh, your writing for those commercials. <laughs> so, um, Days of Our Monks will come back with the season two. Uh, there's there's a bunch of other shows we've got in the meantime that I'm really looking forward to. Uh, uh, next up is uh, is Nick's Against the Underdark. Uh, we're, we're Nick Rannis, and that's that's going to be an experience. But for down the line, we we are absolutely doing Days of Our Monks, Chapter Two, The Opera Soap Chronicles. <laughs> Name reveal, title card. Title card. Um, so that's about the time that we've got. Uh, anyone have any other comments you want to throw? Uh, comments, questions? I'm pretty much good. Okay. Uh, thank you all very much for your time, and thank you for listening. Bye. Bye, everybody. Thank you for listening. If you like this and want more, you can find us at thelairaction.com. <laughs>